0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
1: The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by Mick Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mick Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mick Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: Put industry leading,
1: difference making, and tomorrow shaping on your to do list. Explore Deloitte Technology Careers at deloitte.com/techcareers and
2: engineer your future at Deloitte.
1: Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is Giannis and our very special guest, film legend Gordon Davis. This is going to be an interview with Gordon. We're going to learn about Gordon's career, and if we have any questions for him, feel free to share them with us. Giannis is going to be doing the interview. I'm pretty much going to be in the background. But before we do that, I want to welcome Giannis to the show. Giannis, are you excited to talk to Gordon for
2: maybe an hour?
0: I'm so I certainly am. I've got some questions for him that are going to maybe befuddle his mind a little bit, but <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's not going to take much Janice.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, great it's stuff. Gonna great.
1: It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh before we get going, I have to welcome a very special guest, Gordon. Again, thank you for all the times you come on, but really I I said to you this off air that I was excited to do this for selfish reasons. I, I want to learn more about you. So I'm excited to uh, to uh, have Giannis interview you tonight.
2: Well, it, it, it should be interesting. I don't know what questions Giannis has got, and I don't know what questions Neither do that I. We, that might come in over the next hour. So we'll we'll take it as we see it, and I'll answer everything that I can.
1: That's fantastic. Okay. Well, with that said, I'm going to turn the show over to Giannis. Giannis, it's all yours.
0: Right. So I've got uh, several questions here, either, but I thought we'd start. I'm going to take you geographically all over the map, but um, I listened to your show with with, um, with Russ and Rob um, after the Newcastle game. It's been 10 days since it, Can you believe it? 10, it seems, feels like 10 years, but it's been 10 days since the game. And um, I wanted to know if you've had any updated thoughts on the season now that we've had a week or so. Um, As you know, a a number of the clubs in the championship have released uh, lists of players out of contract that won't be re-signed or clubs that are going to be taking up player options. Uh, I know even today I saw that the QPR re-signed Charlie Austin from from West Brom. Um, But we've had relative radio silence from our ownership and nobody seems to know what is going on and a a lot of Fulham fans are... Are very nervous right now um, because they're not hearing anything from ownership. And I'm just curious if you've updated uh, any thoughts since the end of the season. Anything that uh, you know retrospectively you've um, reflected on?
2: Well, it's it is a bit strange because it appears as though Scott is going to be in charge next year, um, but there are whether you want to class it as rumours going around that. The management or the ownership aren't happy with some of the comments that he's made. And um, they are, well, extremely unhappy with those comments. So it does seem strange that there must be talks going on in the background um, with with the club as to what is actually going to happen with, with Scott. I, I still think it's very much up in the air whether he's going to be manager next year. Um, whether that's a good or a bad thing. um, Probably the the Fulham crowd are split 50-50 on that. But it's, to me, my biggest problem with keeping Scott in the job is that can he motivate all the players that basically he left out for a season? And there could be a few of those that are leaving, but we have been linked with one, two, three, four different players that are uh, are with other clubs. But until I suppose everybody knows what is happening with the the manager, and this can only come from um, either Tony Khan or Shahid Khan, um, nobody really knows what is going on at present. And as you mentioned, some of these players that are out of contract and have been released, and there's a, a hell of a lot of players that have been released there are some very, very experienced players there that could certainly do us a job and push us towards either winning the league or being in the top three. So it does seem strange, and, and this is why I think, uh, personally, that Scott may go is that um, there must be talks going on at present, um, and but nobody knows what is around the corner and I think that's frustrating from a, a supporter's point of view which is what I am now and you just want to hear that either he's staying either he's going and if he's going are they talking to other managers or possible managers at present and that is why they haven't made a comment in the last 10 days until somebody says yes and then the following day Scott Parker is out of the job so it's very much up in the air and until something comes from the hierarchy, then I am as dumbfounded as the rest of the Fulham supporters knowing what is going to happen between now and the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, and what, what's almost disconcerting as well, Ivor, is that I mean, we've had the merry-go-round of managers in the Premier League. Obviously, um, Pochettino may go back to Spurs. We know that um, uh, Spur to Santa may now um, g- possibly go to... Well, they're talking about him going to Everton... Um, the, you know, there's the Ancelotti uh, exit to Real Madrid. Um, the whole thing is going balloony right now, and yet it's been relative silence from 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 Craven Cottage. And although Tony Khan has been putting up more AEW Dynamite um, videos, thinking that he's the next coming of Hulk Hogan, which um, <laughs> the less said on that one, um, the better. But it's no, it, it's good to get your perspective because I, I know that you and I and many others are are extremely worried about what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, Even today, QPR are sounding out about getting Stefan Johansson on a permanent. He played very well there, ironically, after announcing his international retirement from Norway. And um, I just, we need to do the business early because um, we need to bring some stability. And and I think it's going to be important for the fans. The fans really, um, the fans need to be heard and there's a lot of anxiety. And I think it's about time that uh, somebody, from the ownership steps forward and says, look, this is what we're going to do. And etc etc Well, it's interesting so, you, yeah. you,
2: you've, you've mentioned a lot of managers there. And, and one, of course, that has been mentioned since he left Bournemouth is Mr. Howe. Howe. And of yeah. course he's turned, he's turned the Celtic job down um, for what we believe, if you read between the lines, transfer kitty or transfers and uh, situation of that uh, ilk. So, has he come back on the scene? And until, uh, as we've just said, until something happens from the top, then um, we are just not going to know. And, and you, you're literally going to be looking at reports from day to day, whether it's in the papers, whether it's on the radio stations, whether it's just fake news, um, until something is, is is said from the, as I say, from the top of the club. And as soon as that is is mentioned. Then we know where we are and we know which way the club is, is going. But until that happens, we're all in limbo and it's, uh, it's very frustrating.
0: I agree. It is, it is upsetting. And it, mind you, it does give us a good reason to moan, but that's, <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not necessarily Dude, a good We thing. need a good reason. <laughs> we need a good reason. Now, for those of you that um, obviously our fans don't know, of course, Ivor is Welsh. And uh, he's as Welsh as they come. And uh, he's a Valley boy. He's a Merthyr Tidville boy. Um, but I thought, you know, Very well what, pronounced. I, I, Yeah, I thought I'd take you back. Well, actually, I'm gonna. there's actually sort of I've got a Welsh link and I'll, I'll have some fun with you on this. Um, I wanted to get you your input now. Actually, the European Championships are coming up in the next couple of weeks and Wales are obviously going to be in it. And uh, they've got an exhibition game against France at the moment. And I was looking at their squad. I mean, obviously, Gareth Bale's back, Aaron Ramsey's back. You've got Davis and Gunton, Williams, Hennessy and Ward. I noticed Hal robson Carney didn't make, make it. But mm. the way it looks right now, uh, Wales are playing Switzerland on the 12th, uh, Turkey on the 16th, and I believe Italy on the 20th. And I wanted to get your thoughts um, on how you think the Welsh... Squad will do in these European Championships, and I think that's a pretty that's a pretty even group where Wales have a, a legitimate chance of getting out of the group. But also, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on um, head coach Robert Page because he came into the fore um, after really at the last minute after um, the fiasco currently surrounding Ryan Giggs in his um, in his legal trouble. So I'd be curious to see how you yeah. you know how you feel about the, the prospects and, and and the job that Robert Page has done.
2: Well, I think he's doing a good job. He's obviously just carrying on from what's been done over the last few years. And fortunately, uh, they've still got the two, three, four players in the squad that make them tick. As you mentioned, Ramsey and Bale, obviously. Um, And I think they do rely on, on the big players. They are certainly... Um, a, a squad based team rather than looking at five or six of them that can open up defenses. You, 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 you rely heavily on Bale and Ramsey and you want them to be fit. You want them to be playing. Um, and when they are playing, it gives everybody a lift. Um, and you, you, even from my point of view, when I got in the, the, the Welsh team initially, um, Although I was one of the lesser players there, um, it was just like a family atmosphere. Um, Even the majority of the players then that were playing in the Premier League and I was playing in uh, the old second division, as it were, um, championship now, um, they just took you on board as one of the family. And it wasn't a situation where... Uh, they're looking at you thinking, well, how can he be in the squad? He's only playing, for instance, for Fulham. Because years, a few years before I joined, you had players from Newport, you had players from Cardiff, you had players from Wrexham. And the majority of the squad was picked from the old second, third and fourth divisions. So you you knitted together very much as a family and you knitted together very much as a team. And the attitude was, and it still is, everybody gives 110% and you run yourself into the ground. Even if you're you're playing out of position, you run yourself into the ground and work for your teammates and the team. And when I played with Wales, I, I found that I never recreated my club form purely because of the fact that I was playing for the team and I wasn't playing for myself as an individual. Hence only scoring two goals in 16 games. Um, and being um, ousted by a, a, a young upstart who came in from the under twenty ones, and um, unfortunately that young upstart was Mark Hughes. So it's one of those situations that you've got to take a, you've got to take the, the, the smack on the chin, and you've got to realise that Mark Hughes was the ideal foil for Ian Rush, and I wasn't. Um, and but. The atmosphere within the squad, and it's the same now, is a very, very close knit family atmosphere, and uh, they will. I hope they get out of the squad. Gareth Bale has already said that it's a tough squad to get uh, group to get out of. So it all depends how they start. If they get a win in that first game, it'll give them confidence, and then you never know because it's a it's a one off game. It's tournament football, and you can win games one nil, not play great. And uh, you just need one bit of magic that can get you through to the next round And from the European Championships where they got through the semi-finals. Then, yeah, they can cause people problems or teams problems if everybody plays well. And that's especially if Gareth Bale and Ramsey play well. So they, they can do it. Whether they will, we've just got to wait and see.
0: Yeah, I, th- I actually fancy them to get out of the group with Italy. Uh, I do like the balance of the squad. I think uh, Rob Page has done a good job, as uh, said, considering that the, you know the national icon that Ryan Giggs is, and unfortunately, yeah. he's blotted his copybook. I mean, obviously, innocent until proven guilty, but he's got the court case coming up, and things don't look yeah. don't look great from now. You were a teenager. Um, not many people will know this. You actually made two trips to, to Man City. You started off on their books, right, as a teenager.
2: Um, yes, I was taken on as a uh, a fifteen year old, and uh, I was going up there uh, during the holiday times to train. Just in in, all, in those days, they were called on schoolboy forms because you couldn't sign anything else. But I was I was linked with Man City, and uh, Joe Mercer was manager. Malcolm Allison was uh, was coach, and um, I, I got taken in by. The first team um, to go to some away trips for pre season. So I was on, as a 15 year old, I was on the coach with, well, you go back to the the, the, the great Man City team of Corrigan, Book, Doyle, Summerby, Lee, Young. Uh, so all those were literally just making me feel at home being involved, not, not being involved training wise, but just being involved on the coach with them. And it was, um, it was a strange situation for me because obviously, as you mentioned earlier, being from uh, Merthyr Tidville, I supported my local team, which was Manchester United. And then I find myself uh, being signed up by Manchester City. So although I didn't mention anything to, to anybody when I was at City as a 15-year-old, or by the way, <laughs> I support the Reds, um, after having... Um, the Michael taken out of me by all the first team being felt to be part of a, a club. Um, I, I sw- switched allegiances and and became a Man City supporter before I was 16 years of age. Um, and, and then when you're a Man City supporter and you get a, uh, at the end of the season, you get a letter through basically saying that you're not going to be kept on as a sixteen-stroke, seventeen-year-old, um, then I suppose the the bottom drops out of your world as a, as a sixteen-year-old because you are hoping to to go on to better things, and then suddenly you get a letter saying that you're not good enough. So it was a it was a hard time for me um, as as a just a kid um, coming from a, a a small sort of mining village to accept the fact that shall we say, I, was, I wasn't I was good enough. So uh, all I could do was try to um, improve myself, whether that's training by myself in, in the streets around Merthyr, playing uh, football with my mates, getting involved
0: with,
2: with... I was involved with Georgetown Football Club at the time. And you just try and do as well as you can. And you you still have that boyhood dream that... I'll play for my favourite club when I'm older. I'll play for Wales. I'll score a winning goal in a cup final. All those type of things. And yeah, it was a it was um, a difficult six months, nine months after being released by Man City, um, just to sort of try and regroup and not focus on football, but focus on getting back to school, focus on playing well for my. Uh, my boys club and just trying to do as well as I can. But it was a, it was a major blow at, a, at 16 years of age. Um, well, I wasn't quite 16. I was still 15 and coming up three months short of my 16th birthday. So I was still a kid and uh, it was very, very difficult for me. And I, I could have packed in, I could have packed in football. And as they say, the rest would have been history. So um, it's, it, it's a lesson to all youngsters with with what's happened to me and it's happened to many others, that sometimes you develop um, at different stages. And there were players at my boys' club that were much better than me, um, but by the time I'd probably got to seventeen or eighteen, I'd overtaken them. So uh, fortunately for me, I was I was given
0: a, another chance. And that would have been. I mean, it's interesting you say that, Ivor because I know that um, one of the things that has evolved in recent years in terms of the, you know, the, the evolution of, of academies has been those kids that, that go into academies from young, very young ages that get to 15, 16, 17, and suddenly they receive the letter that you did where you could have been there for years and suddenly you're told you're not welcome anymore, you're not good enough. And uh, and that's and that's, that's, a, that's a very difficult and, and tough pill, pill to swallow um although for you i mean you, and this is for the listeners i i will and i'll i don't know clarify this a little because Ivor is welsh there's a pride there's a pride about the welsh that, that, that i don't think the english have really sort of understood or have been able to understand if it i mean i've had the benefit of going to um cardiff arms park to watch wales england play rugby and watching 15 Welshmen standing in their red shirts singing Land of My Fathers in front of 70,000 baying Welshmen. And the emotion on their faces says it all for what they feel about their country. But there's an incredible amount of pride uh, that goes into being Welsh. And it's not just in terms of rugby. It is in terms of soccer. It is in terms of field hockey. It's been in terms of boxing and in terms of cricket with the uh, County of Glamorgan. So when you went back, you went back to Merthyr Tedville. And I will tell you, there's sort of a connection between you and I, Ivor. Um, I went, I actually played, um, I played in the Ceredigian the League um, after you joined, yeah. just before you joined Fulham for the second, your second stage. I went to university at Lampeter. So um, right. it was, <laughs> there's not many of us, but I did, I played three years <laughs> there. Um, I know, I remember my first ever game was against Cardigan Town and I got the, the lumps absolutely kicked out of me um and then i realized oh i'm in wales they're really big here <laughs> i don't know what they feed them on but i had three wonderful years there and um i do know that the, the, the immense amount of they didn't like english students for start but the immense amount of pride that they had and i know that going home to merthyr would have, you know penny darren park i think was your it was your home stadium um yes Pen- it, Pen- not penny darren Pen- Pen-Darren. oh Pen-Darren. sorry i stand correct Pen-Darren, Pen-Darren. that's correct <laughs> and Merthyr Tirlow is now um, it's um, it's now Merthyr Town, and uh, and you yeah. were a martyr when you played for them. Um, yes, and they're still yes. known as the Martyrs, and um, a very famous club in South Wales. But you were there. Um, what was the process up to which suddenly in seventy eight, lo and behold, you're with Fulham. It
2: it was a really. Um Strange situation. As I mentioned earlier, uh, at 16, I was always looking to try to get to the next, next league, um, which was uh, going up the steps a bit. So I, when I was released, I was playing in um, under 15, under 16 local leagues. Um, I then went at 16, 16 and a half to play in the next league up uh, well two leagues up because the, the next league was what was called open age, so you went from sixteen and if you were good enough you you played then played against men and as you mentioned, some of the local league football uh in those days uh was was a bit rough uh, yeah. so it was um always nice to have what they used to call and every club had one at least uh an enforcer uh in the team, so I always had. Hard men, boys, whatever you want to call them, uh, perhaps looking out for me. So if I was getting, as you found out, a few lumps kicked out of you, then somebody would even the score up on my behalf. So I went. I, I, I didn't go to the open, um, uh, the open League, Overage League, as it were. Um, I went into the South Wales Amateur League, which was another step up because we were playing uh, teams from Swansea, from Newport, from Cardiff. And, and sometimes they had an ex-pro playing. And I was only with Hoovers um, for one year. And that one year we won the amateur league. So everything went right for me. I was playing centre midfield. Um, probably you'd look at it now as if you're playing 4-4-2 from a, from a, a Fulham point of view. It would have been Rob Wilson's position where I was getting up to support the front two. Um, And we had two very good forwards. One was uh, built like a brick outhouse and would run through a wall. The other one was a very, very good target man who held it up. So you knew as soon as it went into him, you could make that run knowing full well that he wouldn't give the ball away. So I had a great season there. I had good players around me, some very experienced players around me. And so at 17 years of age, I've, I've now won the South Wales Amateur League and I'm in my last year at, at, uh, at school um, before going off to physical training college. So it was only that at 18 years of age when I was coming back home to Merthyr in the um, college holidays that I was actually going to train with Merthyr because obviously that's the next step up for me, as far as I can uh, sort of look at it, playing for Merthyr's reserves in what was then called the Welsh League. Um, And once again, you have a lot of ex-pros playing in the Welsh League. Uh, You've got a lot of um, uh, good players that are semi-pro, that work full-time, some down the pits, some you didn't really want to bother with, some that would turn up to the, uh, the games, still with the call in their eyes, uh, not looking great. And you're thinking, I hope he's not a centre-half. So I played for half a season on and off um, in the the Welsh League and sort of seemed to do quite well and literally got promoted to the first team. And I think within six months of playing sort of um, wide right, because I can't call myself a winger. Um, I played wide right, and I don't think within half a season I crossed the ball to the far post. I was doing what I'm criticising Knockhart and Cavaliero for doing, cutting inside. But I'd cut inside and go for goal, or I'd cut inside and go for one-twos to get better angles, and people played to my strengths. And I think in the... uh, the six months um, that I played as a, as a winger, um, I scored thirty goals in my first sort of term uh, in in the Welsh League, Stroke Southern League, um, and at the beginning of the following season, uh, one of the front two uh, in playing in the Southern League, and it was one I think two divisions below the Conference. Um, or the National League as it is now, Um, one of the experienced lads up front got a nice elbow in the face and fractured his cheekbone. So he was automatically out from that position for a a few weeks, if not a couple of months. And I was, through my goal-scoring record from the wing, I was put into the the second front uh, two position with with a big lad up front who I played off. And... We we hit it off quite well. We had a a, a young Scottish lad who came down from Albion Rovers um, with work, um, a chap called Ian Doherty, and he was a fantastic player to play with. And he should have really had the chance to go into league football as well. But I knew playing with Ian, his first touch was so good. His second was a pass. So every time I knew it was going to him, I knew he's going to take two touches. He'd control it. He'd look up. I'd make a run. He'd knock me in. So literally that half a season, that from August to February, I'd scored thirty-five goals for Murtha by sort of the beginning of February, um, and there were a lot of clubs sort of looking at me. Um, and in short, obviously, I, I signed for Fulham, but. It was an 18-month or 15, 16-month period at Merthyr where literally I could could do no wrong. Um, And I was just knocking sort of goals in for fun from whatever angle, from whatever position I was put in. And in those days, if you're knocking goals in 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 non-league football, somebody would say, come and have a look at this guy. And uh, quite a few clubs were looking at me at the time and, I decided on Fulham. Hang on, Yanis, I can't hear you.
0: I think I've, done what, gold I've done a Goldman. I've done a Goldman. I was going to say. I was going to say. Better. We completely
2: lost Yanis.
1: Yeah, that's my better.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. I was going to say um, you had two spells with us. You were 84 Then you went to City and, and uh, Chelsea. And, then you came and back to someone else. Yeah. And that, yeah, but it's interesting. You know, I was looking back at your career and, and two more marked. Um, phases you couldn't have had i mean if you look at and and i wanted i first ask you about that first one i mean 78 to 84 in many ways was glorious um there were a few downs we know what they were there were some absolutely massive ups you look i still look at those lineups and just drool at how good that team was um and and it's the success you had over that first six years that really got you that move to what was perceived the next level, but I want to ask you about, you know, looking back on that first six years, you know, what are the things that you look back on with fondness, and, and things that you maybe would have done a little different.
2: Um, fondness, um, and 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 this is where sort of my love with Fulham, or my love affair with Fulham, started, was because. I know I could have signed for other teams, but I always felt as though I owed Fulham some loyalty because they took a chance with me when they signed me, because effectively I was moving up, what, five, six divisions. And when I got to Fulham, I was was putting my all in in training, in reserve team games, but I never expected to play a first team game for maybe 12 months. And and yet within a couple of months, two to three months of of, of joining the club, um, I came on as a a sub at a home game against, uh, I think it was Mansfield that Bobby Campbell just wanted me to have a run out. And I think he gave me that about 12 minutes or something like that. Um, And then um lo and behold, I didn't know I was playing. I was just sitting down in the change rooms at Blackpool when he mentioned the team, and suddenly I was looking I was looking around at the fourteen, fifteen other players that were there, thinking, Have I missed something? Because I'm sure I'm the only Davis in the changing room. <laughs> and and it was it, it was named in the first eleven, and I'm thinking what's happening so I was totally surprised by Bobby Campbell giving me a start at Blackpool um but it took me shall I say it took me six months to adjust to professional football I was still trying things playing for Fulham that I was doing in non-league and it wasn't coming off as much as I wanted it to um but the one good thing was that the supporters stuck behind me or supported me from day one, um, and I've got to thank them for that because yes, things could have gone wrong at Blackpool if I hadn't have scored on the on, on my debut, if it hadn't have been the winner, uh, if I'd have missed chance after chance after chance. I've I've seen crowds turn against players very very quickly. Um, I was fortunate because even though you mentioned seventy eight to eighty four um, in the uh, the first season, uh, which which didn't end up well, um, I think I'm right in saying with a relegation, um, it was uh, a situation where I was just trying to give one hundred and ten percent every game, and I was chasing lost causes, um, and the the crowd stuck with me, um, and if the crowd have got on my back a i wouldn't be here um talking to you about my career at at fulham um i may not have been talking to anybody about a career at all in football so um i I certainly look back and now and think i I could have done better in my first six months uh at the club um but I, i would look back at even the the year that we 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 got relegated and we were trying in training and on the pitch as hard as possible to try and get things right. And everything seemed to go wrong when we went out on the pitch and uh, uh, sort of uh, just as a a, a small storyline, you could be hammering a team possession wise and chance wise and their keeper saves everything You hit the bar, you hit the post, shots are cleared off the line. And literally with the first attack, when somebody breaks away, and we've seen it over the last couple of years, um, you go one nil down. And I think it happens so many times, um, and I can understand the players in the present squad, it happens so many times that you can see players when something does go wrong, if you haven't got that leadership on the park, you can just see players looking around and looking at each other as if to say, I can't believe this, it's happened to us again. And that can, you can get in a cycle of winning. And the the last thing that you think of when you go out on the pitch is not necessarily drawing, is actually losing. But you can also get in the cycle of losing. And even though you're trying to be upbeat, you are always in the back of your mind no matter how well you're playing, you're waiting for something to go wrong. And I think I felt that in the first 18 months I was at the club. And it's not a nice feeling to have when you're out there uh, trying to do well. Um, but as I say, one one thing that, that I would have changed probably would have been my attitude in the first six months, um, which would have enabled me probably to score a few more goals instead of trying things that perhaps didn't come off. Um, even though my confidence was was pretty good because of the support I had um, uh, it may have made the difference um to gain a few extra points for the club and it may have got us uh, out of the predicament that we were in in that uh, first relegation season um before as I say before Malcolm McDonald took over so um, that's probably my biggest regret is that first of all, we were relegated. And I think I thought that we had a good enough team to stay in that league quite easily, but uh, the results—the uh, results at the end of the season don't lie.
0: And it's interesting, you know, that all the furore around that particular team and, and, and the six years you had, and then three years later, um, or two years later, you came back to a club that looked very different. Um, we were going, and I, I actually rather than ask you about that five years between 86 and 91. I'm curious to hear how you felt while all this, all the financial furore was going around about us potentially having to merge with QPR and just the state of the club uh, in that five years and how different that was to play under that atmosphere, which, you know, it was pretty toxic at the club at the time. I mean, if, if, if fans think it's bad now, uh, you go yeah. back 35 years and that was just, we thought the club was going to die. We thought we were done. And yeah. um, Jimmy Hill, uh, you know, rest in peace, Jimmy, you know, uh, a legend in so many ways, but he was one of the, the people that saved us. But I'm curious to know, you know, as a player, what was that like having to go through that? Not sure whether or not you're going to be part of a team and whether the club was even going to fold.
2: Well, it's, it, 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 it is a strange situation because I'd spoken to Ray Lewington Obviously, I wasn't uh, in the team at present due to at, at Man City due to Billy McNeil's um, fun and games, shall I say? Leave it at that. Um, and so I'd spoken to Ray, uh, even though I knew it, uh, another couple of clubs were uh, wanting to speak to me uh, in the championship. I spoke to Ray Lewington the afternoon of um, the Liverpool game in the League Cup. And I'd made up my mind that I was probably going to come back to Fulham to try to help get them back to where I thought they should be anyway, which was in the old second division. And Ray invited me to the game at Anfield. And and I turned him down and said, well, no, I "I don't think it's fair to the team, Ray, because if any Fulham supporters sees me at the game there may be one, and this has not been big headed, but there may be one or two chance when the game is going on of either, either, and of course if the players haven't seen me they're going to wonder what the hell is happening so I didn't go to the game I said thank you but I'll stay away Um, that was obviously, and I can see a little smile coming on your face, that That was was obviously the game where Liverpool scored 10 and Fulham scored nil. So um, I, I, I heard the result on the news uh, late at night. And for the next, I think, two or three days, I was a bit shell-shocked, um, thinking that I probably said to Ray, well, look, it looks very good that I'm probably going to sign, come back and have another chat with you, but sign for Fulham and come back, I suppose, home. And then I'm thinking to myself, is this a right decision to do? Um, should I now get in touch with leads and go and have a chat with them? Um, should I uh, now go and have a chat with another uh, championship side? And uh, I thought long and hard about it. And I thought that, no, it's a place that I know that I can do well. It's a place that feels like home to me. Hopefully, hopefully, Um, I start scoring goals and carry on, um, and hopefully um, the supporters back me. And my idea was to try to come back and help the club get promoted. Um, And so I I didn't change my mind. Um, I went back on to see Ray. Um, I I signed for the club, uh, and then... I think there was a, a, an infamous game at, uh, away at Chester when I was still living in Cheshire. And I met the lads at the, uh, uh, the Chester ground. We played a night game, midweek game. And it was one of those games that I mentioned earlier on. We couldn't do anything right. And all we ended up doing, we kicked off, ball went forward, we lost the ball, Chester attacked, scored. So I've touched the ball once, we're 1-0 down. We kicked off, we went forward. We may have had two or three minutes difference. Chester attacked, scored again. We lost that game 7-0. And it could have been 8-9-10-11 because the keeper, and I think it um, it may have been Jim Stannard, uh, he pulled off some absolutely fantastic saves and they hit the bar, they hit the post. And... Then I realised, I think, uh, how big a task not only Ray had on his hands, but that I had to try and get us out of uh, that division as well. So um, it was certainly an eye opener, but fortunately, <coughs> excuse me, for, for me, um, I scored on my home debut. I think it was Herryford uh, in the Cup game, and, and I think I scored two on the day. And as far as the supporters were concerned, everything was back to normal. I was at a place where I should be um, after my two years away and I was back scoring goals. So from a confidence point of view, um, the, the the 10-0 game went out of my mind and even weeks later or months later, the 7-0 game went out of my mind and uh, all I could do then was to try and perform with the youngsters that were there um, and uh, obviously Ray was able to bring a few other players, experienced players in as well. But I, I just felt as though I was back in, uh, in my right place at the cottage, uh, scoring goals for a club that I
0: loved to bit. I've got. Um, I know that Russ, Russ's. Um, we've got we got an audience are going to ask ask some questions. I've got a, a rapid yeah. fire for you before we end. But I'm just thinking back to that Liverpool game. I was at that game in '86. And um, I, there's many things. I was actually standing in the cop with my, my best buddy, Spencer. We got us tickets. And I remember the first chance of the game was actually Dean Coney. Coney missed a sitter after four. And I was like, oh, you know what? We might have a chance. And then Steve McMahon sc- scored after eight. He missed a penalty. That is, I, I believe, still the best Liverpool side I've ever seen. That Liverpool side, I was just looking at the lineup here, Ivor. And it was like I mean, Dalgleish and Hanson, Lawrence and wow. Steve Nichol, Ian Rush. Wow. Um, I mean, it was who else? We got John Walk, Steve McMan. I mean, hello, like really? Who are we trying to kid? I mean, we got <laughs> clobbered. And you know what? I think we lost the second leg three two, if I'm not mistaken. But um, that Liverpool side was so dominant in the 80s, and they were so tough to tough to beat. I mean, they they had quality all over the place. To finish off my segment, I'm going to give you a little quick, quick and rapid fire here. So this is going to okay. be a little fun segment for you. And now these are play. I'm going to give you ten players, and these are players that you've you have played with. So you can give me one-liners yeah. about what they would like to play with or fun or anything like that. Um, I like
1: this, Giannis. Go ahead. I like well, A
0: couple of them I have to be <laughs> selfish, and um, I'll get a good laugh out of you, either because I'll tell you why I've used them. Okay? Um, okay? Some obvious, some not so obvious. Robo, I know you're watching. You're not included. But <laughs> you would have been if you'd been on the show. So here we go. Uh, player number one, Tony Gale.
2: Tony Gale fantastic youngster when i came to the club and when i was on the touchline with bobby campbell he said he said see that big lump over there I went, <laughs> yeah and he said uh, he's some player he said he will play for england um and i said i said he's he, he is a bit a bit of a size because he was tall i said how old is he, he said um well 16 17 and i just thought well if, if if bobby campbell and i rate bobby as coach if Bobby Campbell thinks he's that good then this kid must be uh, must be some player the only thing about Gailey he likes giving stick out but he doesn't like <laughs> taking it
0: <laughs> Oh, that's good hey, that's a good one and I did not know wow. that okay we're gonna we're gonna go back a few years for the next one how about this one Teddy maybank
2: Ted uh, played up front with him absolute lunatic on <laughs> and off the pitch. And uh, you you couldn't get a more uh, honest guy uh, that uh, will uh, sort of put his head in where you really think twice about it and don't put your head there. But he was a, an absolute joy to play with. Um, sometimes I don't think he knew what he was going to do. So if he doesn't know what he was going to do, the defenders had no chance and it was a shame that he got such a bad knee injury at such a, a young age, because I think he could have uh, uh, been a, a fantastic player for who whoever he played for. Because everybody or the teams that he's played for, they all speak highly of him, and that's that's all you can get from supporters is yep. is is that type of accolade. And uh, but he's a he's a he's a
0: one-off, Ted, an absolute one-off.
1: Wow. Good stuff. We're going to go
0: home for the next one, uh, Ivor. Jeff Hopkins. Okay. Spider. Um, He was an all-out
2: 100% player in training and in matches, and he was the most awkward person you you could come up against when you're playing in a -a five-a-side, when you're playing an 11-a-side game. He was all arms and legs. There was no coordination about him. He was just all arms and legs and he got into positions that you'd never think that you could get into. But what a player to have as a right-back or as a centre-half uh, in, in your team. And he would go through a brick wall for you. Um, and I played with him for Fulham and I played with him for Wales. And uh, and just a, just a quickie, um, we played against Brazil and the, the, their left winger was a chap called Adair who was a yeah, yeah. fantastic player. There's not many Brazilians that aren't fantastic players, but we were working on, uh, we'd hidden ourselves at Ninian Park and we were watching them training and the ball was going out to Adair from the kickoff. So we were winding Jeff up to say, right, you've got to get close to him and you've got to try and whack him or put him in the, over the touchline in the first 15, 20 seconds of the game. So Jeff was up for it now. It didn't take much to wind Jeff up, and he was up for it. So Brazil kicked off. Jeff started going for Adair. The ball's played to Socrates, out to Adair. And as the ball's getting to Adair, Jeff is doing 110 miles an hour at him. Adair sees him coming. And when you put your right foot behind your left leg to, to chip the ball over someone, Adair did that. And he chipped the ball over Jeff Hopkins, ran around Jeff and got the ball the other side of him. And Jeff was trying to so, trying to slow down like a cartoon character. And you just thought, and you just, every, every one of us was hoping he was just going to go wall up. And then when we saw that, we thought, well, perhaps these Brazilians are not too bad. But <laughs> he'd give 110% every game, Jeff, and uh, he, he would be one of the players that you'd say, if we're in a battle... I want Hoppy to be there.
0: Now the next player is one I would think of in the same sort of vein as Jeff, and that's Peter Scott. Scotty, oh,
2: everybody will probably remember Scotty for getting sent off against Bristol Rovers in the playoffs. Yes. But, yes. but he he had a a hell of a lot more skill than sometimes people gave him credit for because he was a workhorse in in the middle of that park, and he and for a a slight player. He, he put his foot in. And in those days, you needed somebody in the middle of the park. And if it wasn't Ray Lewington playing, then Scotty was the one to uh, uh, cover and put his foot in. But he had a, a good range of passes as well. And on some of the, um, I think, YouTube videos, um, he scores one or two goals in, in, in those as well. Um, but uh, it, it was a shame, I think, that the players that we had that uh, Scotty couldn't really get a run in the team and make one position his own. He was always coming in to fill in, and then had five or six games, ten games, and then he was back out. But but yeah, Scotty was a, um, a a good ball playing midfielder uh, who I think could have had a better career um, if he'd had just been in that one place at the one time where he gets a position, makes it his own, and plays thirty games. A season for five or six seasons, but he unfortunately, um, he, he never really got that at Fulham. But, but yeah, and, and ha- another youngster that came through the youth team as Willow, as Hoppy, Hop- as Paul Parker, as Tony Gale. You mentioned all those in a, in a short space of time, and I think now, where are those players coming from now?
0: But that's well, digressing. Harrison Reed, Harrison Reed reminds me of uh, Peter Scott. In a lot of ways, I mean, he—he was—he's never been one shy to put a tackle in. He covers every blade of grass. He's willing. He's—he's a, he's a blue collar player, and that's why I thought Scotty might be an interesting one because uh, I liked Scott as a player. I really did. I think he, he gave it everything yeah. he had on the pitch. Um, now going back to the defence, Kevin Locke.
2: I know it's a strange thing to say, and, and only because everybody says it about left footers. Um, he has one of the best left footers uh, of, of kicking a ball that I've seen. He could drop a ball on a sixpence. He wasn't a bit like Gailey. He, he, he was known as a centre-back, didn't have that much pace, but was a fantastic reader of a game um, and probably should have stayed at a higher level for longer. Um, but you knew with, with Scotty, uh, sorry, with Lockie, that if he was trying to put a ball in an area, then you knew he was going to drop it on a sixpence. Um, and the one thing that he also gave us was that he was an absolute gem of a penalty taker. And um, unless you were away at Exeter on, on a, a, a windy, wet night <laughs> where he misses one and only penalty... Um, everybody thinks he's got a hundred percent record. Uh, the unfortunate thing was that um, I'm trying to think of the the Exeter centre forward. He was talking to Les Strong on the halfway line that uh, during that game, and he just turned around to, to Strongy and said, "Go, Lockie's put some penalties away this season. I've never seen him miss one. He always puts it to the keeper's <laughs> left, doesn't he?" <laughs> and and Strongy said, "No, he said he, he puts it to the right, and he's got he's going." Like that with his arms, the keeper goes, dives the right way, and saves the penalty. So, we, fortunately, we won the game. Uh, but that was the only penalty that um, uh, that Lockie missed. And when um, uh, match of the day cameras or football focus cameras came over the training ground one day, and it was the time that we were playing Liverpool, because obviously in, in the uh, the three game um, league cup. Section that we had with them, we had a penalty in the first game, we had a penalty in the second game, so they came down to uh, have an interview with Kevin Locke, and they said, "Do you mind taking a couple of penalties for us to put the camera behind the goal?" Um, and he said, "No, she said not, not that's not a problem with me." So Jerry Payton was in goal, and um, they the the football focus crowd said to Jerry Payton, "Look, can you?" St- try to save the penalties because we know how good he is. So Jerry was up for it because we're actually being recorded. It's going to go out on BBC One. And uh, Kevin Locke came up and he took five penalties and he scored all five. Uh, Jerry was trying to save them. And what Locke did, he put one in the top left-hand corner. He put one in the top right-hand corner. He put one in the bottom left-hand corner, one in the bottom right-hand corner, and then he smashed one down the middle. So if anybody was going to look at that and think, I know which way he's going to put it, you had no chance. He was just spot on. And he scored a few free kicks for us like that as well, because he could put it on a sixpence. And um, I I would have uh, Lockie in my team, uh, not necessarily for defensive um, uh, attributes, but certainly going forward. He could put it on a sixpence for you, and that's what you want when you're uh, when you're up front and you're making those runs into uh, into space.
0: Well, I've got to do, do the last two players together, and I've got a, a horrible suspicion um, that you wouldn't have them on your strongest lineup you've ever played with. And I've got stories for both of them. <laughs> um, one of them played for Chelsea, um, and I and came to um, came to you played with him and we used to make fun of the fact that he had no hair mind you the fella could could score and that was Clive Walker yeah. and the other one <laughs> the other one was because when we signed him I, my head nearly fell over because i uh, if i couldn't make it to Fulham games uh, for whatever reason uh, i'd go down to watch Palace at sellers park and he was a center back and he was he was notorious because every clearance went into the stands um, sometimes at great danger to the spectators because you didn't know where the ball was going to go and he didn't know where it was going to go. And that was Gavin Nebling. Now, I'm taking you way back here. So your thoughts on Clive Walker and Gavin <laughs> Um Walks was, um,
2: I think, a Lauren to himself. Walks was a type of player that if he fancied it, he could tear Teams apart, Um, and I've only recently seen one of the goals that he that he scored, where he's literally picked it up just in his own half, and he's gone past four, five, six players round the keeper and popped it into an empty net. Um, And he's another person that wherever he's played, people have got a a lot of respect for him because of the amount of goals that he scored for for different teams, even non-league teams. Um, but he could be so, so frustrating um, only because everybody knew Clive wasn't the, uh, shall we say, the um, most aggressive per- person as 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 being a left winger was in those days. He didn't like um, either a 50-50 tackle. Sometimes he didn't like a 60-40 tackle in his favour, but You had to accept that as part and parcel against going forward and causing other teams' problems because, again, he had the pace um, and it's a different uh, type of attitude when you know you're going to get kicked up in the air um, and you've got to try and accept it and get on with the game as opposed to running at defenders, getting past them, trying to get crosses in and, try, and getting hurt when you're getting crosses in. It's a different sort of type of um, uh, attribute because if, you, if you're getting kicked when you're getting the cross in and you score a goal, it doesn't hurt as bad. But when you're on the halfway line and somebody just lumps you up in the air and probably stands over you, looking at you and saying, there's more of that to come. So don't go past me. The ball or you go past me, but both of you don't. And, and and Clive yeah every now and again Clive went missing but for for what he put on the table through going forward especially at the level we played with together then um in the old third division um he was a he was a special talent and again another player that you think should have done much better um in his career at, at a higher level shall we shall we say but uh, but walks if you, if you wanted somebody to uh, Take a defence apart On his day He was unstoppable uh, Gav Gavin was <laughs> I think when he came to us We were all expecting um, A ball playing centre half That was good in the air That was good on the floor Because he's come from a footballing team Crystal Palace um, And I just think that nothing went right for him at the club he picked up injury after injury when he did come in there was uh, he was always up against either a a, a quick centre forward or a physical centre forward and he never really hit uh, the level that i think we were all hoping that um he would play at and it was a shame for him because he is such a nice guy and such a um such a player that puts the time in to make his game better on the training pitch. But it was just one of those situations. And I know sometimes moves don't work out for people. And certainly the move to Fulham, which I, I, I think everybody was hoping is going to reignite his career, uh, didn't turn out to be that. And um, uh, as you said, it's like a lot of people. Um, and as I said at the beginning of this interview, I've seen crowds have a go at players. And and as soon as sometimes it goes near to a player, you can hear the crowd going, oh, no. And it it doesn't do you that much good when you're on the pitch and you've got 4,500 people there or 5,000 people there and the ball is rolled out to you and it goes, oh, no. Uh, And you can hear it. You can hear. I, I could pick up individual voices in the crowd if they're at a certain tone. Probably, and you you can hear you can hear one voice in six, eight, nine thousand people that are there. And because you've done one thing, you can literally hear him saying to his mate, "I can't believe he just missed that." And and you just think, "Oh God!" And you're looking for him. You think, "Well, I know he's in there somewhere." But but yeah, it was it was a shame for Gavin because he put the work in on the training pitch, but it never it never came out on the pitch for him, especially at Fulham.
0: Well, Ivy, you've been absolutely spectacular. Oh, been Ross, has got, um, Ross has got um, a host of questions from, yes. from the, the peanut gallery, including I think Rob's on there as well. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to share that as well, yeah, by the way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> by the way. Okay. So so coming up next, we've got some questions for Gordon, and uh, that's how we're going to end the show. Okay, Gordon, we're going to start here, and then I'm going to go back to Giannis. I'll let Giannis scrounge around the questions and pick the ones he wants, and then, but I want to mm-hmm. ask the first one. Because it is from Rob. Okay, here it is. <laughs> this is for you, Gordon. Has he ever bought a round
2: of drinks? LOL. Um. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, probably only one round, and that's why I've that's why I've kept away from the bar for uh, a few years. Because the year we got um, promoted from the old third division, we were all invited down to a club um, on uh, in oh, going towards Chelsea. Uh, And um, there were uh, the youngsters there. There was the old supporters there. There was family there. And the two people, or or gradually as the night went on, people were leaving and going down to other clubs or other pubs. And there were two people left in the the club, which was a a friend of Strongy's, I believe. Um, And... We finished off our glasses of champagne because people are drinking champagne most of the evening. And uh, as, as Les and myself were walking out, we got stopped by the owner. And uh, the owner said, uh, who's, who's paying the bill? <laughs> and so strong, so strong, he went, uh, what, what do you mean, what bill? We, we, I thought it was, oh, no, 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 it wasn't free. I invited you all down here after the game. <laughs> And um he said I wasn't giving you a free drink, it wasn't a free bar. So uh Strongy looked at me. <laughs> I looked at Strongy, you put your hand in your pocket and you got like 20 quid in there, and you think, Oh, this isn't gonna work. Um and 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 my wife was there with me and Strongy's yep. girlfriend at the time, and um uh it ended up, I think it was and and bearing in mind it, it it's quite a while ago, but Four hundred and eighty-six pound uh, was the, was the bill for the evening, and uh, Strongy and myself went halves each, and um, we never said anything to the players. So see, Rob, the, he did the, do it. <laughs> so for the so for the next thirty years, I've been trying to knock that bill Have off one pint at a time. So um, yeah, I, I did buy a round, but it was unfortunately for me, it was like two hundred and forty quid's worth. Wow, wow!
0: That's back that's over to you, Eonis. <laughs> Steve Reynolds has got an interesting one here. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, with with uh, Cavallo coming through and players like Fossey, and he asks the question, um, Ivor, do you think our future over the next two years has to rest with the, the academy?
2: Well, I would say it doesn't have to rest with the academy, but we have got to have... Everybody talks about how good the Fulham Academy is. But all the young players that seem to be coming through the academy are either released and they go to other clubs or they play a game and a half or 20 minutes here, 12 minutes there. And then the end of the season comes and they move on to other clubs. Um, I I don't see any progression at present with our so-called great academy where youngsters are being given the chance halfway through this interview. I mentioned five, six, seven players that were given yep. the opportunity. And, and Willow was one of them. Uh, right. You've got Paul Parker, Jeff Hopkins, uh, Cliffy Carr, Dean Coney, Dale Tempest. Um, and you could probably name um, a whole team of youngsters that came through the academy or or the uh, that uh, I can't think what, the, what it was called then, uh, or the academy at that moment in time. That over a period of two or three years became first team regulars. Um, I'm I'm struggling to think of a first team regular, uh, and you might you might have one or two names there. A first team regular that's come through the academy because um, we had Harvey Elliott who, who's left. Yeah. We had. Fulham's wow. Messi, who, who left to go to Man City uh, because Back he Roberts. wasn't getting a game at Fulham. Yep. Um, so w- we've we've had players who could possibly come in, but for some unknown reason, right. the management or whoever's in charge deems them that they are not good enough for the first-team squad. Now, if they're not good enough for the first-team squad, then what is the academy doing? And to be perfectly honest with you, we have... Yes, you mentioned some of them now. We have two or three players that uh, could well be in our squad for next season. But being in the squad and coming in for 12 minutes or 10 minutes at the end of a game or starting a game and then being brought off at half time is not the way to produce players for our team for the future. And if you're looking at any other squad of players, even in the championship now, they have got a lot of youngsters that are 18, yeah. 19, 20 in the team, yet we are still persisting with uh, older players who are under contract, who we know are not good enough, give the youngsters a chance. But whether, whether the management think, I can't afford to give them that chance because it's all results-based, for me, that went out of the window this season. Because when you've only won five games all season... Uh, And even at the end of the year, did it really matter if we finished with three wins after we've been relegated? Uh, To me, no. Put some of the kids in, give them a chance, just tell them to go out and enjoy themselves in in a structure and and just give them that time on the pitch. And then you can look at what's happening pre-season. But um, I think we've got to bring bring them through. But I don't think um, our future is uh rests with the academy over the next two years our future so probably rests with the, the academy over the next five six seven years because we are a club that have got to bring youngsters through we cannot keep going out and paying 20 15 20 25 30 million for players um and then losing youngsters to other teams to me it's it's a it, it's wrong that that is happening and we've got we've got to look Boy, at the bro. academy for the future. Totally agree. Go ahead,
0: young. Especially with the, the success of our under-18s, two years in a row. Um, been, I've seen magnificent. And uh, it is a shame. I agree, either, that, that you know, something we've got to look for next year is to, to bring these blood, these young players in. Now, this is a, a good question from Ben Lawrence. Um, ben asked, um, what's the one player and team you didn't like playing against? Uh,
2: the one player, and, and this is going to, going to go down well with with quite a few um, uh, Fulham supporters because I'm going to mention a word here, and it was a chap called Dennis Salmon, and he was a very he was a very quick, uh, clean player. He played centre back, and he played for Brentford, and <laughs> I hated playing against him because. <laughs> Even though I always scored goals against Brentford, I hated playing against him because I knew that, one, he was as quick as me. Um, so I just couldn't use my pace to get away from him. I knew that I was in for a, um, a hard physical game, but not dirty. He wasn't just going to kick lumps out of me. Um, he was a, a, a good centre-back and a good defender. Um so I, I hated playing against him as a as a person even though as I mentioned I always scored goals against Brentford um, team I probably hate hated playing against most that, that's a difficult one because I've, I've never uh, I've never really had a team that I, I I hated playing against but one that I didn't like for a, a season two season period. Was the Northampton side that literally, when the keeper got the ball, the Northampton keeper got the ball, they trained to sprint from the half, well, from the edge of the box or wherever they were in the box to the halfway line. And they had to get there in four seconds. Otherwise, in training, they had push ups to do or burpees or sit ups. So, as soon as the ball went into a shot, went into the goalkeeper, the keeper caught it, they just turned and sprinted. And so we played them at home. Uh, And they were the same up at Northampton anyway, at the old ground, not six fields. And as a forward, you follow the ball in in case the keeper drops it. So the keeper catches it. I turn round, I look at these. 15, 18 backsides running away from me So I sprint to try and catch them up What they then did was The keeper just lumped the ball down the pitch They are centre forward Let Roger Brown, for instance Head the ball Roger Brown had a free header He'd head it back 30 yards (laughs) I am still running out towards the halfway line Linesman, flag, offside So I've done this three or four times and we're still in the first 15 minutes of the game. I am now starting to breathe out of my backside because all I'm doing is sprinting 50 yards every time that we lose possession. So I thought, right, okay, I'll try this other way of sorting this problem out. So we have another attack. The ball goes into the keeper. The keeper thumps it 50, 60 yards down the pitch. I start walking out of the area. So when Roger Brown or Tony Gale or sent centre-half heads the ball back in, I'm just outside their box. Unfortunately, our players didn't get to the halfway line before the Northampton players, so we've still got a free kick in the D. So I've had a quick word. I'm saying, just get back. Just make sure you're not offside. So the next attack, same thing happens. They run up to the halfway line. All our players are onside except me, who's walking out, On the D of the box So flag goes up Referee goes And he's looking around now And I'm still walking out So they've now got to bring the ball All the way back to the edge of the D For offside I did this on three occasions Thinking I've sussed this now We can keep them pinned back there The referee came across to me And he said Gordon you've got to make an effort To get (laughs) onside And I went why? and he said cuz if you don't i'm going to i'm going to book you for ungentlemanly conduct oh mother so if, so if you walk out of the of the area on two occasions the first one you're going to get booked the second one you're going to get booked and that means you're off so all I had to try to do then was forget about going into the keeper and run back to the halfway line uh, just not to be offside or if I was offside, but I was only three yards behind them, then the referee was happy with that. But yeah, I, I could have been booked for ungentlemanly conduct for wow. walking in a football game. So VAR, VAR, would have just said, "No, he's offside." So
0: <laughs> it's so funny, either. So Northampton, been...
2: that Northampton yeah, they... side, I hated hate Okay, it.
0: okay. How how many how many more questions do we have time for, Russ? Um, how a... about another three? OK, I was going to laugh, actually, either, because when you were talking about the play you didn't like playing against, I could have sworn you were going to say Mickey Droy. And I would have laughed, man, <laughs> if you'd said Mickey Droy, <laughs> because Russ, yeah, this no. guy was, yeah, he was, oh, God, he was a monster. Um, Russ, he, played, he, for, he played centre-back for Chelsea. He was six foot four. Um, he had this yeah. big beard and he was an absolute, he was a tank. I mean, he he kicked people, and they never well, got if up. You,
2: if you if if you watched if you watch Game of Thrones, Russ, yep. then Mickey could take a part in Game of Thrones without any makeup on. Yeah, he was he was wow. absolutely. Yeah. But but I, I must admit, I I enjoyed playing against Mickey. And again, he was a although he was such a big guy, such a powerful guy. Uh, he was another centre half that liked to play football. If you wanted to mix it with him, fine. Right. But he was another player that um, that wouldn't necessarily, in my opinion, go out to injure you to get you out of the uh, get you out of the play. And I remember one we played Chelsea in a um, a testimonial, and Mickey came on, and for some unknown reason, I think they put him on the right side of midfield and Ooh. um as as you've as you've just mentioned he's six foot four he's he's out here and he was on, and, and the ball bounced between us in a testimonial game and it bounced up to to this this height and i'm coming in to chest it down and mickey is coming straight at me and he put his foot up and his foot came that high and I could see all of, all of his studs wow. and he's 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 gone and i won't do it too loud because of uh, uh, microphones but he's literally gone <laughs> and i just i just got out of the way i just got out of the way because it is a testimonial game and i wanted to sort of um, at least be n- not in the hospital that evening and yeah. the ball bounced and he controlled it and passed it and he laughed and he said iva he said i'd never hurt you so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it shall so i say he became he became a good friend but um but, yeah, you you wouldn't want to mix it with him um, uh, on, on a football field. And if you upset him, then um, there was only one way
0: to go, and that was hospital. He was, okay. he was, he was a true monster. And talking of Chelsea, Chris Davidson had this great question. It's a, it's a tough one. Do you regret joining yeah. Chelsea? Um, scored You scored on your debut and you got a hat-trick up at Goodison, but they never really made you a regular.
2: Um, I I don't regret joining Chelsea because that was the only option I had Um, they were the only club to come in um, when Fulham were asking £300,000 for me uh, and I was at the end of my contract Uh, these days I could have walked away for nothing Um, but the club had all the power Um, so we couldn't agree uh, a contract. Uh, that, that's where it all came down to. Um, I was asking for one thing. They didn't want to pay me the one thing. And Chelsea were the only team to come in. And, and as I wanted to try to, to prove to myself that I could score goals uh, in the first division, obviously now the Premier League, uh, that was the only option that I had. Uh, and it still and it still wasn't my option because when it went to a tribunal, uh, Chelsea put one figure in, which was at this level. Fulham wanted this level, wow. um, and it was only down to the tribunal setting a, a, a figure of I think ninety ninety or a hundred thousand pound uh, that Chelsea uh, agreed to buy me. So if they hadn't to have agreed to pay uh, the tribunal set figure then I still would have been a Fulham player wow. um, looking to get away and I still would have been on a week-to-week contract because I was on a week-to-week contract for about four, four months um, which meant that I had to go back to the club to sign a contract for one week on the Friday afternoon so that enabled me to play on the Saturday and in the midweek game And then I had to go back the following Friday to sign another one week contract. Um, And I thought the way that the club were were treating me was the only word I can use despicable um, because I was still scoring goals. I was still playing well. I didn't down tools, but um, uh, so yeah, when I was given the opportunity by Chelsea, um, I thought obviously it isn't ideal because there's Dixon and Speedy up front. um, (laughs) And, as Chris mentioned, yes, I scored up at uh, Sheffield Wednesday uh, on, on my debut. We, we drew one all. And then I got a hat-trick at Everton, which I think um, Peter Reed has put in his his book, that um, it's the best hat-trick that he's seen because it was left foot, right foot, header. Um, so I, I knew that things were against me, uh, but all I could do was go into the team and score goals. Um, I just felt that at the end of the day, the, the management weren't strong enough to either do one of two things, and that was up to either play me, and if I scored goals, keep me in the team, or play Dixon, Speedy, and myself. Um, and, they, and they did, uh, they did neither. Um, and so, at the end of the that season, um, I handed a transfer request in purely because of the fact that I wanted to to play football and I wanted to be given a chance. Um, And that's when Ken Bates had a word with um, the vice chairman at Manchester City and Manchester City phoned me the following morning and said, uh, would you be interested? So I went up on the Monday, spoke to City, um, came back, flew back up on the Thursday, signed a contract and played against Watford on the, on the Saturday. So, um, uh, it was uh, it, it was two frustrating years uh, away, one at Chelsea, one at Man City. Um, but at least I proved to myself that at that level, I could still score goals. Um, so I thought, right, you've proved to yourself you can do it. Uh, there was so much political uh, goings-on at both clubs that I thought, when I, I had the opportunity to come back to Fulham, as I, as I mentioned earlier, Um, I just took the opportunity to go back to a place where I knew that, A, I could score goals, and and B, which was a good thing, I'd probably be in the team
0: most weeks. So the final question I'm going to have with you, it's a a personal one, Ivor, from Dave Greenstreet. Um, Do you you still have any contact uh, with uh, Dean? Dean Coney?
2: No, no. The last time I I, I saw Dean was um, obviously at a a reunion that we had uh, for Roger Brown. Funny enough, that's how long ago it was. Um, oh. But uh, he is a he is a person, as as I think most uh, Fulham supporters will know, that I won't have anything said against. Um, he was my ideal partner. We we clicked as soon as we were put together in training. Um, we didn't have to work on uh, our understanding. We just sort of uh, clicked straight away. Um, it was uh, sort of love at first sight, if you if you want to use that phrase. Um, and I know that people, and, it, and it's strange being a, a goal scorer, if that's what you class me as. Um, it's strange when people remember one or two important misses by Dean Coney. Um, People bring up the Leicester game, a header. Even, Giannis, you brought up after four minutes at Liverpool. Yeah, I remember. Um, (laughs) And uh, what not necessarily the supporters don't realise is that he was such a good player to play up front with. He was such a good target man that he hardly ever gave the ball away and he was able to allow me to work off him, Rob Wilson to come in, uh, to time his runs, get goals from uh, that that position that Rob played in this sort of attacking midfield player. Um, and he created, I would say, hundreds of goals for the team, but he was never going to be a, a a 15 to 20 goal, uh, a season striker. Um, if, if he'd have been knocking 20 goals in a season, then Fulham would have sold him... Probably in those days, for about four or five hundred thousand pound. Um, But what Dean did for the for the team in his work rate and his set up play and and his ability to create chances for other people, I will always stick up for him, and I won't hear a bad word said
0: about him, uh, no matter who it comes from, Yannis. You know what? It's funny because when that game, it was it was a header. And Coney was so good in the air. And I remember, I was at the end, up at the cop end, and I remember him looking, because a lot of Liverpool fans started laughing and had this look of absolute vacancy, like he'd just seen a doe, a deer in the headlights. And I just, I couldn't stop laughing. I said, oh, God, Dean's going to get another one. And there's then one led to two, led to three, <laughs> led to four. <laughs> and I was thinking... <laughs> God, the poor thing. He will I, probably remember that I, night. I, but you know what? Um, if you, Whether you're a player or a fan, you will remember those games where you come up yeah. against a team and you get absolutely tonked. And you just have to say, you can't say, no, we played well. Because I actually thought that night we didn't play badly. We actually yeah, created yeah. chances. Liverpool were that good. You could, they, they, You weren't getting the ball off them. You weren't getting the ball. Well, the thing and is, it
2: was... if you if you looked at that Liverpool side that night as well, and the Fulham side, yeah, I've got the you would probably. Here. Oh, you would probably expect a ten-nil hammering, but you wouldn't expect Fulham to play well, to to move the ball about, to actually create chances themselves, because that was, oh, really, such a young team, and it really, was. in a way, a bunch of kids that were out there. Um, and it's a handling yeah. like that that probably made a lot of those kids much better in the long run for that type of experience. Um, but I, but I will go on to say, because when I'm sticking up for Dean and I, and I, and I mentioned about people uh, note the misses, okay. I scored a lot of goals for Fulham. I missed probably more than Dean. And Yet people remember my goals. They don't necessarily remember the misses. And even against Liverpool, I think in that first game at the cottage, I had a one-on-one with Grobler, and I tried to hit it on the half-volley with my instep and I didn't catch it right from about, I don't know, 12 yards. Uh, And I just basically chipped it into his chest. And if I had taken one more bounce, which I could have, I could have just hit it as hard as I could at, at the Hammersmith end and I probably would have scored. So for all those people who never think or can't remember anything that I missed there's one for you.
0: <laughs> it's it's actually and you know you talked about that, the the average age of that Liverpool lineup that night was 27.58 wow. and the average age of the Fulham starting lineup was 22.55. I mean that's Okay that's i'm i'm looking at people kevin hoddy um brian cottington wayne Cairns. i mean i'm that was a very very inexperienced I know louis was there coney was there yeah. uh, gary barnett john marshall but that was a very very young lineup against a team that i think looking up top to bottom every single player was an international in fact they were all were yeah. internationals including grobbelo of course it was, it was zimbabwean and um yeah, yeah. that team was but no, I just, I, I love, because I mean, I love Coney. He was a super strike for us. But I remember thinking, if he gets a chance like this four minutes in, we could nick this. Yeah, yeah. No, it was no. always I hope. Know. No, <laughs> it was when the seventh one went in, I think Steve McMahon had scored again. And I went, you know what? We could get one. And then Rushy scored this absolute worldie. I thought, oh God, please not 10. And the 10th goal was Steve Nickel in the 83rd minute. Yeah. I thought this is just, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's 23rd of September,
1: 1986. Wow. Yeah. So 30, is is uh, yeah. that just... tattooed on your
0: forehead? No. <laughs> well,
1: well, <this> is... <laughs> well, Giannis, just to bring things full circle to where I live, Steve Nichol actually lives where I am right now. Steve Nichol used to coach the New England Revolution, and he actually works for ESPN out here. So, uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's funny. The minute you mentioned his name and he scored the 10th goal, I was like, oh, God.
0: Oh, that's could... right. That's, <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah, Scottish Union have Scott, a very, very good fullback. Tremendous yep. fullback. Playing at yep. He was an outstanding um, defender. It's funny, somebody, I mean, Steve just put something up here as well, Ivor. Did you follow Merthyr Tidville or any Welsh side? If so, which team did you ever play against Welsh University teams like Lampeter? And I played for Lampeter. For SD, st david's university college um, um I, I don't yes think I, have...
2: I, I i still yeah i still follow um mertha um and it, it's because at this moment in time of this year um the uh, the wales walking football is sort of based in mertha tidville and okay. they've asked me uh, literally about a month ago to be a uh, an ambassador for for them, for the Wales walking football team. So I'm going down to Merthyr uh, sometime next month for uh, a, a, a day. Let's see, what's, what's on the day? Um, yeah, I think it's the over-50s walking football next month. And then if I've got chance, in August, because I don't know uh, what's going to be happening there's the over fifties, over sixties and over seventies walking football in Wales. So I'm, I'm hoping to get down there for two days to, um, uh, talk to the, 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 players, um, the over seventies, I could talk to them, but they might not understand me or, or they probably can't hear me. Um, and, um, uh, you, you, they've said to me yeah. that uh, I can present some of the trophies down there on the day, have a chat with the, uh, the players, both men and women. Um, and, and one of them said, "How fit are you?" I said, oh, "What do no. you mean? How fit am I?" Um, and they said, "Well, you never know. There might be a position in the Welsh walking football team. So oh, watch. So watch this space." <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable!
1: Oh,
2: unbelievable! Oh, Giannis
1: uh, Gordon, fantastic! I've just l- listened to this entire interview, and I, I loved every minute of it. I. Uh, Gordon, thank you so much for doing this with us.
2: No, I, 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 I thoroughly in, enjoy it. I've, I've had to sort of um, keep some things quiet because if <laughs> I get this book up and done, then um, uh, then the the, long, the longer versions of some of the stories will be out there. And, okay, um,
1: fantastic.
2: And, I we, will, and we will but promote no, the book. I, I, thoroughly, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope that uh, the people who've uh, uh, sent the questions in as well uh, understand the answers and uh, especially the one from Rob, at least he now can no longer tell me to, I've, I've got to get to the bar. So yeah, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> he's,
0: he's next, either. he's next on, he's next for the interview. And I've got some he questions is. for him as well. Yeah, he
1: is. Uh, it, it, Giannis, you stole my thunder. I was going to say, we will be doing this with Rob as well. So, so Rob will get the Giannis treatment as well.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds good. No, I thoroughly
0: enjoyed it.
1: Okay. Giannis, I hope you enjoyed it. And you did a wonderful
0: job hosting the show. Thank you. And I just discovered that one of our supporters, Steve Turner, also played at Lampeter, 04 uh, to 07. Uh, wow. I was just because I was there at 85 to 88. Yeah. And I'd heard about this um, uh, Craig Roper uh, leukemia yep. thing. Lampeter, for those who don't know, is a town in Midwest Wales. It's sleepy. <laughs> that's the best way I can do it. Say it. Um, it's the smallest university in the UK. When I went, it had 750 students. It was the three best, three of the best years of my life. I mean, it it was. Um, I took a bit of getting used to the Welsh names, to be honest, especially the teams you know, <laughs> um Cluny Bather, you know, mice Glass and all How that. You're doing well. I mean, You're doing well. Yeah, it was. You know what? Um, they're tattooed to my forehead, and I don't know, Russ, if you've ever seen Little, Little Britain, the series Little Britain. I have. Right, so there's a character in there um and he describes himself as the only gay in the village, and that is based in Hlandandowi Brevi, and Hlandy brevi is um they've got a football team called Dewy Stars, and I used to play against those buggers so and so it's true because some of these small towns yeah. um you go to um everything revolves usually around their rugby club. And around their football club. So when a, a team of students comes into play, and Steve will Steve will back me up on this one, um, it's like oh, little English students kicking time. <laughs> get, get the ambulance ready in the corner. Wow. And uh, it, but it was it was um, it, it was uh, yep. West Wales. Wales is is is, is an, it's an amazing country and the amazing people. And um, I had like three fantastic three fantastic years there. So that's wow. Great to hear this, Steve, because um, I have not been back since my grad, and that was, shit, excuse my German, 33 <laughs> years ago. But I have te- keep saying to my wife that we'll go back one day just so. You should. So g- say goodbye to the, uh, to the old place. So it's been, yeah. and either you were fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I gave you some fun things, and I'm glad you laughed um, at the Clive Walker thing because I was wondering what you were going to say about that one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, it, was great. it was good stuff. It was Great interview, Giannis. You did a fantastic job. Thank you, sir. And Gordon, thank you as always for joining us. And uh, hopefully
2: we'll have you back on soon. No worries. Thanks Thanks, both. There you are. You're
0: looking young there. Oh, wow, 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 wow.
2: Yes, that's definitely after the Man City game, that one. Okay. Keep the kids away from the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, as Giannis said, before we leave, I just want to mention this, that we will... Have another interview, and it will be a, a full-length interview with Rob Wilson. So Rob will get, as I mentioned earlier, the Giannis treatment, and that should be fun as well. But we do have to wrap this up. For a very special guest, Gordon Davis, and my host, I'll call him. I'm not the host. He was the host, Giannis Janais, for this show. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougal share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk Sport powered by fans.